Welcome to the Commercial Matters Podcast. Your show host is Amit Kapoor, owner of Mindful Contract Solutions. Nothing in this podcast is intended to be legal advice. Hi folks, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Matters Podcast. I'm Amit Kapoor. I'm a commercial consultant to digital transformation programs. Today we are going to be talking about damages that can be awarded to a party that wins in a court in a dispute with an IT supplier or a buyer as the case may be. Now the reason it's important to understand that although you may not be in a dispute is often when things go wrong in a program what we expect the other side to do in return to resolve the issue can sometimes be excessive in terms of the legal remedy. And this for me in my kind of experience has been a reason why disputes often persist for much longer than they should be. So hopefully armed with a knowledge of what is the principle around damages in English courts, you can make more pragmatic and sensible decisions in your program when things are going wrong. Because in most programs things do go wrong. So it's kind of an essential skill to get right. So in this podcast we'll first talk about what are the different kinds of losses that buyers in a program typically expect of their suppliers when things do go wrong and we'll discuss each of those heads and we'll try and understand whether in law that kind of recovery is permissible or possible and following having explored all of these losses we will then look at what are practical things you can do in programs based upon all the knowledge you've gained in terms of the heads of losses. But before we begin with understanding those heads of losses, there's one concept that you do need to get your head around before, and that is the whole concept of limitation of liability. Now, what is it? Limitation of liability is a section of your contract with your supplier or your buyer, as the case may be, which basically seeks to restrict the kind of things you can recover from the other side in the event of a claim made by the other side. So effectively, you might have caused the other side a bit of pain, let's say a thousand pounds of loss. You couldn't then ask for 10,000 pounds of recovery because English law is based on the principle of compensation for losses. It's not designed to be punitive on the other side. So all that the limitation of liability section does, it kind of creates a more well-defined set of parameters of recovery. So typically in this section, what tends to get excluded is any consequential losses. For example, if you are, as a buyer, engaged with a supplier in the development of a software, then typically if the lack of having a good quality software is going to result in some kind of losses in your business operations or some kind of issues with your customers who might make subsequent claims on you, those are the kind of things that in English law tend to be recognized as consequential losses and therefore these tend to be excluded from the limitation of liability section. Often, now this might come across as a surprise, but even things like loss of revenue, loss of profits, these are all considered as irrecoverable and often excluded from the liability on the other side. 
Now you would obviously wonder what is it that is actually recoverable in that case. So what tends to be recoverable is any direct loss. For example, let's suppose you engaged supplier X to do some work for you on an IT program. They left you midway because of issues or you sacked them because of issues and then you then had to engage another supplier to do the remaining job and you had to pay an additional fee. So something like that, the cost of having of doing that excess work would be recoverable in law. So that's the kind of thing that gets spelt out in the limitation of liability section. Right. So let's now have a look at what are those heads of losses that buyers typically expect of suppliers when things go wrong. The first head is called wasted expenditure. So what this means, wasted expenditure means is the excess cost you have had to incur to achieve the same outcome that you would have expected with your previous supplier or more accurately under your previous contract with a supplier. By way of example, suppose you were contracting with supplier X for a 10,000 piece of work for supplier X to deliver you a product Y. Halfway through the program, supplier X decided or had performance issues on their side, couldn't deliver the outcomes and left the program halfway. So let's assume that by that time you had paid supplier X a value of 7,000 pounds, which is 3,000 short of the full value. You then have to engage another supplier to take over from where things have been left and complete them. So you do that and it costs you, say for example, another 5,000 pounds. So initially you were contracted to get an outcome for 10,000 pounds, you've already incurred 7,000 and you've now had to pay another five grand to complete the same work. In this case, a court would regard as anything you've paid over 10,000 as a wasted expenditure. So effectively 2,000 pounds in this case. So in law, that is very clearly recoverable. And the best case in point would be the same case we've referred all through this uh, podcast uh, series. It is the Cooperative General Insurance versus IBM case. There's a whole section described in the judgment around the different heads of losses claimed by general insurance and what was actually paid. So what might be of interest is Cooperative General Insurance were claiming for a number of heads of losses and overall losses being something to the tune of 125 million pounds. What eventually got awarded to them was only the wasted expenditure worth about 15 million pounds. And this is the cost that they spent on other service providers to deliver the program that they argued was left stranded on account of failures of the IT supplier they engaged, in that case IBM. So that was head of loss number one, which was wasted expenditure. Head of loss number two, and this is probably the most common ask that buyers have of suppliers, is the cost of delays in the program. So typically what happens is a program has a number of suppliers and the buyer's client side team also working to deliver the same cause. And if one supplier delays their side of the bargain or does not deliver its output in contracted time, what happens is that the buyer is then stranded with a lot of other 
cost commitments it has, including its own client side team. And these cost commitments continue, often just waiting for input from the supplier who had to fulfill a certain obligation. And buyers will often then ask for some way of being compensated for that delay. Now, whilst I have given an example of a buyer asking for a delay from a supplier, it also tends to be the other way around. But I think for the purposes of simplicity, we'll just focus on this scenario for now, where a supplier causes a delay to the program. Now, whether the cost of a delay is recoverable is very much a matter of fact that can be established after review of the contract. There is no kind of set rule of whether you will be paid for if the other side delays you in a program. Quite often suppliers can agree to something like liquidated damages clause. Basically these are clauses that say in the event that you delay your obligation Mr. Supplier by X days, you will have to pay a set amount of you know, 20,000 pounds per day of delay. So that's almost like a fixed agreement of what is it that the supplier is liable for if a delay occurred. Many suppliers tend not to get into deals like that because it's often not that straightforward to attribute the delay on one particular party in a program. And very obviously the risk of bidding on and entering into contracts of such nature is extremely high for a supplier. So failing the presence of that kind of a clause in your contract, it's really very difficult to be sure whether you can actually recover anything at all for a particular delay unless the supplier is bound to deliver its obligations by a certain date and has accepted some kind of a liability in respect of not achieving its outcome by a set date. Quite often suppliers will only be contracted to milestones so failure to achieve those milestones by a certain date can have some ramifications as long as you've coded that appropriately in the contract. But usually a day here, a day there, a week there in terms of intermediate obligations may not be recoverable in law. And that's always something to bear in mind, which is one another important reason why having a client side team kind of mitigates that risk because they are always reviewing, checking, understanding what are the brewing risks in this program so that they can decide or intervene well before things come to a head. So that was head number two, it's the cost of delays. The final head you want to talk about is the head of business benefits. Now often buyers will embark on major programs only because they're expecting a 5x or a 10x benefit from it. And often a buyer's case to a supplier is, you might have delayed me by 10 days, which equates to 10,000 pounds, but the loss I have suffered in terms of delayed business benefits is probably 200,000 pounds. In law, it's very difficult to recover for a loss expressed in that format. The only opportunity you as a buyer have to be able to recover a loss expressed in, in that manner is if you can find a way of getting around the limitation of liability clause in the contract. And there are a few ways available of getting around the limitation of liability clause. 
but those ways usually require you to prove that there were ulterior motives on the other side so either that the supply was being malicious or that the supply was acting fraudulently deceitful something like that but courts take these kind of concerns very seriously so the standard of proof you need to establish that the other side was not just wrong in law but were acting maliciously is extremely high and therefore such claims are always fraught with the risk of uh, you know not being decided in your favor howsoever bad the conduct may seem to you as a party involved so it may be of interest for you to know that in the cooperative general insurance case versus IBM cooperative general insurance were relying on some kind of willful misconduct on part of IBM in that IBM put forward an invoice that IBM knew wasn't likely to be paid and then IBM relied on the non-payment of that invoice as a basis for terminating their contract with cooperative general insurance so cooperative general insurance's point was this conduct by IBM was a case of willful default and therefore they should be allowed to recover losses in respect of you know business outcomes not being delivered which which were to the tune of 125 million pounds the court inspected every evidence in that case but yet decided that IBM was not in willful default which is why what cooperative general insurance eventually recovered was much lower amount than they were claiming for so all this was only to emphasize the point that it's very difficult to establish malicious behavior willful misconduct and things like that in a court of law so now let's look at takeaways what can we learn from these heads of losses and issues around their recoverability that we can apply to managing programs on a day to day basis i think the first takeaway is the demands we make of the erring party should always be proportionate now things often go wrong in it programs but if for every instance that thing has gone wrong you ask for an arm and leg of the supplier that dispute will not be resolved the supplier is on the back foot when they have got something wrong and often these programs are complex so there will be many opportunities for you to find fault with what a supplier does but if you go very gung ho about it and demand for things that you may never be able to recover in law then eventually the dispute will not settle howsoever strong your case on liability may be it's actually very poor in terms of damages so hopefully with this understanding of what is and isn't recoverable in law you will be able to more pragmatically deal with issues when you come across them in a buyer supplier relationship so that was takeaway 1 keeping your demand of the other side proportionate takeaway 2 is it's almost always beneficial to try and work out some kind of a deal with your existing supplier than try to sue them for losses and find another supplier to do their job as much as we like to threaten suppliers of this kind of action that you would contemplate if things went wrong in reality that is often commercially the most unwise decision and the reasons are nothing different from what we have already explored in this episode for one 
you can't really recover a lot of things that you want your existing supplier to do for you in the event things went wrong. And secondly, one factor that you will probably never be recompensed to your satisfaction in law is for the loss of time and the loss of uh, delayed business benefits. The best way to keep program on track or as close to on track as possible is by finding a mutually amicable agreement with an existing supplier who have the resident knowledge to deliver the program in the quickest time from there on. And howsoever bad you think the supplier is, they are often still in the best position to deliver the program at any point of time. So that was takeaway number two in that always try and resurrect the relationship with your current supplier then look to sue them and appoint a new one because you will usually be worse off commercially and in respect of time. The final takeaway and this may go slightly counter to what I've just mentioned but it is that you always try and scan are there any other factors that would allow you to exempt yourself from the limitation of liability clause. So if there are any ulterior motives at play, if there is a case of willful default or deceit, then it's very, very important that you take note of that and at least seek legal advice on whether it is possible to frame a case based on that before you decide to pull the plug on a relationship. Because without the benefit of an exemption from limitation of liability clauses, you will be very, very handcuffed in what you can obtain from a supplier if things really went pear-shaped. But that's more like a practical tip rather than uh, something that we would advise you to do in the first instance. In the first instance, I think it is always much better to try and resurrect a relationship. So in summary, that point was about trying to see if there are any ways in which you can exempt yourself from the limitation of liability clause. So that's it folks. Thanks so much for attending this episode. I hope this has been of some value. If you like these podcasts, the best way to stay in touch and be alerted when we go live is by hitting the subscribe button. We hope to be back again next week with another episode on the theme of IT disputes. And this will be more about the kind of professional you seek help from at what stage of a dispute. So we talk about the differences between engaging a commercial or a contracts manager like me on a program to help you with a dispute or instead seek legal advice through a solicitor or a barrister. Until next week, goodbye. That's this week's episode of the Commercial Matters Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.